Hey guys, hey Living Waters. It is your favorite group of berries here. Ed, Emily, and Esther Berry down in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Congratulations on 40 amazing years of ministry. We're believing and can't wait for 40 more. Just want to thank you guys for the part that you've played in our lives and in our family's lives. You've meant so much to us. Feel like a second home each and every time that I'm there. I'm excited for what God's going to do with this outpouring. She's excited with what God's going to do with this giving in this new season. And we're believing that it's going to be exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that you guys could ask or imagine. We love you. We're praying for you. We care about you guys. Have a good one, and we hope to see you soon. God bless. Congrats again. All right. So great to hear from Ed Berry Jr. and his growing family out in Georgia. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Riley. I'm lead pastor here at Living Waters Church. Welcome all those online. And we have a, a connect card, either a hard copy here, or you can just go on our website. And on that uh, homepage, there's a tab to click to connect with us. And we're just asking for people, first or second time guests, uh, those online that we, we don't know you yet, but you're online, to fill that out so we can uh, uh, know, have your contact information. We'll send you an email, send you a little gift in the mail. And uh, so we would appreciate that and looking forward to that. We believe and are asking God to be just as real at home online as in person. Our vision here is to be abandoned to God and compassionate toward people. And we are in a season where we are stepping out in love uh, for families and looking to launch a new family ministry uh, as we speak here at Living Waters Church. And at this time, I'd like to go ahead and dismiss the River Kids, those children and children's ministers. Let's give them all a big hand. Thank you for serving volunteers, and thank you, children, for being here. We love you. We're so glad. It's here, here among us. So uh, one more Sunday is dedicated for our 40th celebration on the 21st. And on that day, we're going to be, uh, you're, you're going to either during the week, uh, give an online to the launch of the new family ministry, or you're going to give right here uh, in the service. And we're going to be celebrating that total amount of giving uh, in the banquet afterwards. So we're going to get those calculated. uh, And then so later on uh, during the banquet, we're going to be celebrating how the Lord is blessing and providing for this new launch of family ministry. We're also going to be celebrating uh, how the Lord is promising and fulfilling his prophetic word and his promises to our family and expanding us into the next 40 years. So all that is going to be a lot of celebration. Last week, we had a tremendous time uh, in the Founders Meal afterwards, uh, celebrating 40 years, telling uh, fun stories. And it was so rich to say, Lord, we want more of that in the next 40 years. It was such a quality, enriching time together. So I want to remind you to be sure to uh, register for the banquet. You can do that online. Uh, We've been sending you emails with that link, and um, uh, Daryl Tracy's been tracking those. If you don't get our church email, 
uh, and because of whatever reason or you don't read them, whatever reason you haven't registered yet, you need to, uh, you can get with Daryl Tracy after Daryl, if you stand, let everybody see you. And he's doing our calculations of the tabulating of the numbers of people so we can order uh, the, the Caden with John uh, Carino's for next Sunday. It is free registration, but we do need you to register and you can do that through the night tonight online. We have set three goals. We as a board have set three goals. Uh, We really are miracle goals that we're just trusting God as our source that he is going to provide uh, greatly. And uh, those three goals are the Daniel goal. And, you know, Daniel was a young person captivated uh, uh, in captivity, uh, exiled out of his country, and he led other young people uh, to stand strong for their God, and God blessed him and exalted him even at a young age. And that's $55,000 goal for the year, first year's compensation package for a student minister plus student ministry budget increases. And then uh, we have what we call the Joseph goal. Joseph was a young man also in captivity but in Egypt, and he had gifts that God was blessing him, and he came in the end. He was second in command of all Egypt and actually opened the door to to bless his people, the Israel people, to save them from starvation. And that's another second year of, of the, the first, putting the first together, and that's two uh, years of compensation and, and budget increases for our student ministry. And then really this is a family ministry as a whole, which is, so we call that the Joseph, uh, uh, let me see, I'm getting my, let's see, that's actually called the, uh, the David Goal. And the David goal is we add those together where we expand our River Kids ministry, men's ministry, family ministry, and we're already discussing things in 2022 uh, to build those relationships and equip uh, men to be better husbands and fathers and women's, to grow in the Lord and be even better mothers and wives and looking into 2022 already for those things. And I want to announce to you, if you haven't seen my excited uh, video clip over the weekend, uh, but our leadership offering. And what that entails is our board members plus a couple of other board members that have been on fairly recently, that was 11 families, that we ask uh, to pray about it in advance, uh, to uh, give first and serve first and pray first. And so this is uh, what they've done. And uh, for I'll, I'll announce it right now, the leadership offering is $23,000, folks. Let's praise God. Woo! That, I'm just, I'm so, so grateful. And what that does, that's saying there's, that's a statement of faith in action from our leadership that's saying we, we have faith that God is going to provide. We're giving. Uh, then also it says that, hey, the board, the leadership's in unity, that this is where God is directing, and we are pointed in the right direction. And so we're asking God to uh, stir your faith and have help you uh, to keep praying and asking God what is you, uh, you to give. And um, uh, there is a scripture out of uh, 1 Chronicles twenty nine fourteen where this very thing happened. In this chapter, what's happening is David is, after 40 years of reigning as king, he's turning over his kingship to his son Solomon. And he says, I've been giving toward the building of the temple. I am not going to build it. You will, you'll build it, Solomon. And I've been saving all these 
all the supplies and all the wealth, but I'm, today I'm going to give even more. And he lists what he's giving. And then his officials, his leaders and commanders were like, whoa, that's amazing. What, what, what uh, faith, what sacrifice. And so they give, and there's a list of what they give. And it's just the whole people, all of Israel just rejoice at the giving toward God's work. And then David prays and he thanks God in First Chronicles 29, 14. And he says, but who am I and who am I people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And so David is giving thanks to God for all of his wealth and that he, it's not from him. It's, it's really just God. It all belongs to God anyway, and we just gave it back to you. I want to mention a couple of things about the giving because there are a, a couple of things that are different this year uh, that we haven't uh, really noted or, or done before. Uh, one is is something that's that's not new, but I do want to clarify. You know, sometimes I see or I've seen that people will just give cash uh, in an offering, and and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to encourage you. There is a our government at this time has uh, really provided a way to uh, use that toward tax deduction. So our regular white offerings we have at the back, uh, it has a place to put your uh, your name and address, and then you put your cash in. And that means that we get to calculate it during the year. And in January, we send out these, this, uh, these totals of your giving over the last 12 months, and you submit that to the IRS when you submit your taxes, and you get tax uh, deduction because of that giving to a nonprofit 501c3 organization, which is a local church. So I just want to remind you uh, to use this on a regular basis. And then uh, and you, we've got an envelope and a card for this specific offering this week on the 21st. And, again, just don't throw cash in there. Put this and put your name and address in there so that can be a part of a tax deduction uh, for you. Um, <clears throat> the other thing about um, this card is that there is that's kind of new and different for us is that we have two check marks on here. One is a one-time offering in the last four years in the fall. That's what we've done. It's just been one-time offerings, and they've been so generous. God's provided so much. But we checked off because some people, a few people asked about it, can I give monthly? So we have this one that says check off monthly, and, uh, and that's from November until October. And really, really, we see this as something between you and the Lord over the years. So if you're giving an amount for one-time offering, you fill that out. Um, if you're going to also give monthly, then put that number down. Uh, but we're going to just trust you and the Lord. We're not going to be recording that each month and, and, and making sure you do it. That's just you and the Lord to work it out. Someone even already has put quarterly on there. You know, so it's between you and the Lord how and it, when you give, but we want to get to capsulate what that is, those totals are, and so you'd put your one-time offering or what you would be giving on a monthly basis. So uh, with that, in the uh, leadership offering, there was an additional on that uh, one-time offering of $23,925 that's going to be given incrementally in different ways over over months and quarterly. And so that 23000 is actually going to grow over the year. And that is exciting. And as the Lord continues to provide for our launch of new family ministry. 
There is something also new that uh, a couple of leaders brought up, and they, they had just recently found out that uh, if you're 70 years, seven and a half years old, that you can make gifts directly from your retire, individual retire, retirement account to a nonprofit organization like Living Waters without paying income tax on that withdrawal. And uh, so this might be new to you, and we encourage you to talk to your tax accountant or your uh, financial advisor to confirm that that it works for you and you're, you're qualified because fr- funds held in other retirement plans like 401k or 403b plan are not eligible or not eligible, but may be rolled over to a standard IRA and then be used for tax-free rollover gift to charities. So it's a way that you save on taxes by, uh, again, getting this arranged, making sure you're qualified for that, and it goes straight from that IRA uh, toward living orders that doesn't go into your hands. So, again, that's something for you to research for you and your own family, but it's been brought to our attention that this is something that is either new or unique. Not many people know about it. All right. I want to just pray over this for just a moment before we go on with the service, just, again, to let you have open ears to the Lord. Father, your word is so clear in so many places. And I, w- I want to pray this scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, 8, that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's verse 7. And, Lord, we, we release the people to just wait on you and seek you, and so they are giving unto you cheerfully. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So, Lord, thank you that you are generous. And as we follow you in giving, then you increase the generosity over us that in all things and at all times, having all that we need, you will abound and we will abound in every good work. So, Lord, thank you for that, these these encouragements and promises you give in your word. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we release this, this season of prayer to you. And that next Sunday, Lord, we'll be offering up to you and then rejoicing over how you're providing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask someone to come up here and share a testimony for just a moment. And Phil and Tori Bear and their son Tripp are new uh, members of the church. And I'm going to ask Tori to come on down. And if you've seen Tori, uh, Tori's little son Trip down here on the front row, uh, he likes to dance. He loves, he loves, he's got some joy in his heart. And, uh, of course, he can see a little bit better, uh, see his dad up here on drums, as Phil's been such a servant in uh, serving our um, family here uh, in, in his musician's gifting. And he has quite a lot of uh, gifting there. So we're so grateful, Phil. Thank you so much. Um, Tori, why don't you share from your heart just a, a couple of things about um, uh, what's, you know, what's drawing you to Living Waters, what, what, what's happening in your heart with Living Waters? Um, we just feel so blessed to have found um, Living Waters. When we first moved to Shelbyville and we were looking for a church home, um, one of the things that was very important to us was the kids' program, obviously with Trip. Um, and we came from a really big church in Nashville where um, – I mean, you didn't really know anybody, but the kids program was really good because they were big and they had lots of money and 
So that's kind of what we were looking for when we came here. And very honestly, I would see the big playgrounds at the churches, at the big churches around town. And so we would check them out online and then go visit. Um, It was a really hard time to find a church because it was right when COVID started and there was the mask mandate. Um, And we even went to one church where they took temperatures at the door and had you sign in and everybody sat way apart. And and so you didn't really feel any connection anywhere. Um, But that wasn't the case when we came to Living Waters. It was really clear here that the spirit of God's love and everybody and your compassion towards others um, was bigger than the fear of COVID. And um, we just always, from the very first day, felt really welcome. The Bateses took us out for lunch. Um, Miss Susan, she showed us the kids' room and let Trip play with all the toys and take everything down off the shelves, make a big mess. <laughs> um, um, so it's just always been a very welcoming place. Um, since this time, we've been to a luau pool party with the kids and a church outing at the zoo and bounced at the fall festival in the bounce houses. Um, there's always someone showing trip about the love and lessons of God, and it's the people at Living Waters who we know will be there for our son um, and continue to show him God's love and support as he grows. Um, so, we are, again, we are so thankful for children's ministry at Living Waters and want that God's love to be available to more children in this area. Um, And that's why it's so important to support the growth of this program for children in our area to love God and to grow in our church. Um, And I just wanted to thank you all for sharing God's love with us and especially with our son, Trip. Well, Lord, we pray blessings over the Abear family, Lord, and that um, as as they are blessed, Lord, I believe you're going to use them as well. Uh, to show the love of God and in that little boy trip, Lord, we believe your hand is on him uh, to protect him, but also to um, uh, draw him to you, that he would see you at a young age and give his heart to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. They live right on a pond. It is so cool. (laughs) It is so cool where they live. It's just right down the road, too. It's not far. We talked about having a, a little fish, fish get to, fishing party out there with some of the kids and things. So we didn't get it scheduled this year, but next year, let's do it. Well, I'm going to um, ask, uh, uh, I'm going to pray over the offering, tithes and offerings, and then I'm going to ask Buddy Barry to come up, and, and we're going to pray over him and, and let the Lord be released through him. Lord Jesus. We're glad to give. We want to learn that, that, uh, that ability to give cheerfully. We give into tithes and offerings. We give into um, uh, this, this special miracle offering for family ministry. And, Lord, as we give, Lord God, we're trusting you uh, that you see all our other needs. Oh God, sometimes it's more than we can uh, calculate. But, Lord, you know them all. And so we're, our, our, this is giving us faith in action. We're, we're showing our faith towards you. And, uh, and believe that these gifts are going to impact not only our church family, but Kentucky and the world, Israel, Taiwan, and Honduras, in Jesus' name. Amen. Buddy Barry, go ahead and come up here. All right. Buddy, a few weeks ago, was honored by his church for 25 years 
of being on staff as their youth pastor at Henry Christian Church. Let's give him a big hand. Now, he let me know he was doing it for free a couple of years before that. So, you know, it's more than 25 years. And Jessica Wesley Berry, who grew up in this church and school, uh, couldn't be here today because she's ministering to children today. And she's probably been doing that for 20 years or so. So, you know, just what amazing servants to the younger generation. And But it's been more than... Uh, then ch- the church ministry. It's also been in education. His buddy was a math teacher, a coach, and, uh, and eventually God opened doors for him to be the superintendent of schools uh, at Eminence, and that's where he leads in uh, a school on fire uh, where there is such unique innovations happening there that um, he has been at the White House t- twice to receive rewards for the accomplishments and achievements at Eminence Independent School System. So uh, I've, uh, you can find them on YouTube uh, doing trainings in Iowa and Arkansas and educational scenarios, and uh, I cry on those uh, teachings as much as he d- does when he preaches, and uh, he's just a very gifted uh, leader uh, who is helping people connect with the younger generation. And so we want to join in what your church did a few weeks ago. And here's a, a little gift for you for uh, investing in the younger generation. And also, uh, Jessica, there's a little, little something in there for her as well. Um, we got to know Buddy back in the late 90s when he was a high schooler uh, and started coming to a season in our church where there was such Uh, again, a wave of God's Spirit where the power of God was just touching hearts in a dramatic way. And um, I I still have the vivid vivid image in my mind. Um, I was standing about here. My wife was on the keyboards uh, at Youthquake, and we were doing like a youth revival service. And on on the floor over here at the end of the service was Buddy and about 11 football players off the football team. And um, and those moments and times really transformed a number of our children and, and, uh, that, that are out in, in serving the Lord in, in all kinds of places today. And so uh, I just say that, buddy, you have uh, continued to live out uh, that what God put in you into the younger generations. We're so grateful. And uh, we say, uh, Lord, give us a hunger for your spirit to set us free. Uh, so that that God can set more people free among us. Let's pray for Buddy. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that he's investing uh, time in in our ministry here, our family here. We feel like we're family. We are family, and so we're so grateful that he is investing into us. Lord God, we uh, just pray that we hear, our ears are open to your spirit, which you have for us, but also that our hearts are open, and Lord God, that we are open to you, uh, to what you want to do in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll tell you what, thank you all for having me be a part of your 40th anniversary. So uh, I am awfully excited 
this place is my home away from home. I, so maybe only get here once a year, but my heart is definitely bound to you all. So I, 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 th- I see so many familiar faces, and so it does bring back so many memories. As I was thinking about the 40 years of services, St- Stephen said late 90s. My first service, I believe, was ni- January of 92. Uh, I was sitting directly where Elijah League is right now. That's the hot seat, Elijah, right back there. Elijah will move now that I've said that. He don't want nothing hot on him back in the back row. And so uh, what I will say is, is that I was sitting back there. I'd come for a special service, and it was basically an open church service. They had a microphone down front, and anybody that wanted to speak could. I had no desire to speak. Next thing you know, 15, I guess I was probably 17, 17-year-old me is, is sharing for five or ten minutes. I go back over there for the first time really in my life, just overwhelmed with the presence of God. I crawl under my chair, just overwhelmed with it. By the way, same chairs, they ain't changed none. Them's the, them's the, hey, what, whoever bought these chairs got their money's worth because these are so soft today as they were 30 years ago. So I don't know when you got them, but they held up all right. I'm just going to tell you. And so um, what I will say is, is that I was hiding over and I heard a guy on a microphone that I had no idea who he was because it was an open mic, and it was Brother Joel, and he said, who, where's the young man that just spoke? And, and buddy, my heart dropped. I'm, I'm, I'm hiding underneath that chair, and my uncle, who I was with, which is our pastor, he was pointing. He was, he was calling me out. And so Brother Joe spoke a prophecy over my life. And so, um, you know, that was, that was my calling card to Living Waters Church. And I, I really have felt bound to there ever since. Uh, think about the odds that Jessica, my wife, and I attended this youth group for two years together. And I didn't remember her at all during that time in a youth group of about 20, right? But God was aligning us. Uh, you know, to, to have heard the same messages and to have many of this. I wasn't ready to, if I had met her when I was 16, she wouldn't have liked me. I, I, I'm, I was a different guy by the time she met me later on in life. And so, uh, and, and also, to be fair, I grew up in a church that didn't have a youth group. And so, um, you know, my youth group, as I tell people, were all 50 plus years old. I went on Thursday nights to an adult group. And so when I got over here, you all had Christian girls in the youth group. And I had never met other Christian strong. I dated about six in about six weeks. I mean, I was, I, I was like a kid in a candy shop. And so one night, Stephen called me in and he said, buddy, you're killing our youth group. You got to quit talking to these girls over here. And so I never talked to another one. I, I did not. Not until, you know, I met Jessica some years later. And so, you know, as I've thought about all of those experiences, you almost, if you're looking at 40 years, when you have an anniversary, which I just did at church, as Stephen said, 25 years of ministry, you can't help but look backwards before you start to look forward. You just can't help it. And so as I've been preparing for the message today, all of these wonderful memories of over here and the times that God has moved and he's touched people and miracles, uh, it, it's, been, it's been nice to, to relive those times. I mean, I, I, I never forget my senior year of football. I had made this big tackle and all of a sudden I'm hopping around and it became a thing. It became something. Then I started to do. I had a decent senior year. And so about two games in, the newspaper said, what, what are you doing after you make that big tackle, right? Like, and it hit me. I am mimicking Joe League hopping around on the stage when the Holy Ghost touched him. 
I was Holy Ghost hopping like Joe League was. And so it did. It had been supernaturally, I guess, stuck in my mind because that's where I got it from. And he wasn't but about that tall. I, I, I don't know how Elijah got his height. because I'm. But, I mean, he would give you all he had. He had a good vertical, Elijah. He had a good vertical for being 4'7". Um, the, the other two sermons that I'll never forget, and I'll I, I be honest, I've done a bunch over here. When, when I, I, Joe League, who was honestly a guy, as much as he appreciated the Spirit of God, he definitely was like a total professional, right? Like he was the uber professional. So to give a microphone to an idiot, which is what I am, A, and B, definitely what I was when I was around... 20, 21 years old when the revival of 97 hit, right? And he, he gave me every Saturday night. I, I think he thought that would be the smallest crowd. That'd be the safest night to give me. But I wouldn't have gave the mic to me, and he did. And so as I was thinking about that, there were two sermons that stuck out because when you preach to the same group of people in a revival for about a year, I mean, I, probably nine months, I mean, we did it for a while, Right, I, You're trying to come up with creative things. And so I had this brilliant idea. Some of you are going to remember this. I had one of the kids from my youth group bring a bag of chicken a la king. Anybody know what chicken a la king is? Right? That's that stuff's got, it's got a white sauce. She's laughing because she knows where I'm going. And so I, I went and, and I'm, I, I had her play strategically in the front row. I had a nice coat of, uh, uh, laid out on the floor. That just, it was winter time and so nobody thought anything about it. And so I had her pretend to vomit in the middle of the message, right? She vomited right there. I'm talking about right on the coat. It was going to be, I was just going to clean it up, take it out, throw the coat away, and we're good, right? And all of a sudden, one of your guys, and I know who he is. I'm not going to call him out right now. He come running in here with double rubber gloves, and he had on, I, believe, if, I, I wouldn't doubt if he had goggles on. I think he wore glasses, and maybe that's just what his look was. But he come running up in here, and he had the, the, the spray can of Lysol, the rubber gloves. And he said, Brother Buddy, I'm so embarrassed. I'm going to take care of it. I said, Nope. God's going to use that to speak to somebody today. And so I came right down here, and I picked up two fingerfuls of this vomit, right? You were probably, you were probably sitting there. I mean, you probably, were you... Yeah, I mean, because the projector was right here. He's been sitting there so long. Y'all got to put a projector back up here for this man. I told him that before the service, or at least move him to a different part of the church. You got to tell him he's released from that. That man's been serving so long. And so I picked that vomit up, and I put it in my mouth, and I ate that vomit. And I mean, no sooner than I got it in my mouth, eight people took off to the restroom to throw up. And I knew I had made a mistake, okay? So, like, I knew that at that point this message was off the rails, but I'm the guy that I'm all in, right? Like, there is no retreat at that point, right? I'm, I'm going to press on, and I said, people are going to get saved from this today. And, and the gentleman with the rubber gloves, he was so, he might have left your church over it. I don't know. I, I know he's not in here today. I, but I do know for a fact he was mad at me, like visibly mad at me. And so I said, as a dog returns to his vomit, so does one man return to his sin. And so I did a great sermon on sin. I don't know if people got saved or not, but I know, I know that was a mistake. I, I can, looking back on that, that one was, was a mistake. Another time during that revival, there was a massive flood going that we didn't know was going to happen. It was, like I said, the flood of 97, if you all remember the big rainstorms we got. And so I had come to preach that Saturday night, brought my youth group with me, and I had preached in a log chain. 
underneath my outfit, I had a 25-pound log chain on, and I made it where it was tight, where you couldn't tell that it was on me. And so I preached the whole message, and then I take it off, and I'm like, how many of you are bound up, and you're going through life? And I had a whole thing, right? And that's fine. But I have never owned a log chain. I had to borrow that log chain for that night. I've never carried a log chain. I've never had a log chain. So I'm driving home from church from here to go to Eminence. We're going about five miles an hour because of the flooding and all of that. And we get down on Highway 53 heading home to Eminence. And there is a car and all you see is the headlights. They're coming straight up out of the ditch. Like it was like straight up in the air like a Batman signal. And so... There's a guy standing in the road. The road's got eight inches of water in it. He comes up to the youth group and I, because I had seven or eight boys from the youth group. He comes up to us and he said, sir, do you got a log chain? I said, well, sir, it's your night because I've only had a log chain on me one time in my whole life. And, and, and so I sent the boys, I said, boy, and he said, well, I got to get my car out of this ditch. And I knew God was leading. God was like, buddy, this is for you. This, this was not a coincidence, right? This is more important than what you did. And the boys, I sent them over with the log chain to hook up his car so that we could pull it out, right, while I ministered to this guy over off to the side. And about three minutes in, these boys, Larry Montgomery was one of them. He comes over to me, and he said, buddy, he said, there ain't no chance we getting that car out. I said, well, don't tell him that I ain't done ministering yet. I said, go over you go over and fiddle with his, his car while I talk to him. And, and we prayed with the gentleman. But, I mean, those stories are near and dear to my heart. And, and I know that many of you have any, uh, lots of them as well. But the one thing that I've realized as I've reflected on my own past 25 years as youth pastor, as well as the 40 years that you all have had, and my 30 years as a part of things here, I believe that all of my paths have aligned for today's sermon. You see, Stephen said it. He said, I was a math teacher, right? And that's been a while. I love to teach math. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm the guy that probably will retire from being a superintendent to go back and be a math teacher, right? Like, I, I love teaching math. And as I've thought about that, why do I love math so much? I love it because there's a right answer. I love it because you can follow a formula you know, A plus B equals C, and you can do it a thousand times, and it's always going to be true, right? Take the Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. I know it. It's trusted. It's true. No matter what variables you stick in there, you will always get a right answer. In English class, I could write this work of art, right? Like something that I thought, like, this thing's awesome. Turn it into the teacher, and they're like, C, right? And it was like, you're being subjective. You didn't like what I wrote about. And, you know, and they're like, you didn't like this. You didn't like, but in math class, there was always a right answer. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought about all of my, my steps of ministry, right? Like all of the times that I've seen that really started here for me at 16 and 17 years old. And my biggest takeaway is this, right? I believe that God has given me a formula for ministry that has been my calling card, that has been the mantle that God put on my life. And you say, well, buddy, what is that? It's an equation, right? And it's this. It's that our expectation plus our effort will equal our experience with God. I'm going to say it again. It is that our expectation plus our effort will equal our experience with God. I'm going to say it one last time because some of you in the back ain't listening real good. It is our expectation plus our effort will equal our experience with God. And I'm going to tell you, I believe this to be truer today than ever. You see, I grew up in a church that did not believe in the experience of God. 
You see, I grew up in a church where there were no lives changed. There were no hearts rendered. You did not see altar calls where people left. People left the church on Sunday and they acted just the same on Monday as they did on Saturday. You see, there was a lot of hypocrisy. It's part of who I am. I, 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 I hate hypocrisy. I, I hate it. And that's a whole nother sermon. But you see, I didn't grow up sensing and seeing and feeling the reality of God until I met you all, right? Until I showed up in this church. This equation began as a result of your ministry and the seeds that it planted in me as a 16 and 17 years old. You see, I believe James 2 kind of sums this equation up, right? James 2, 14 through 26, all right? So we're going to throw these up here. I'm going to read through them fairly fast, but I'm going to stop on a couple of them just to show you, right? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So think about the equation. It's expectation plus effort equals experience. You, if you don't have expectation but you put in a lot of effort, right, you're not going to get the experience with God that you want, right? If you, put, if you have a ton of expectation and you put in no effort, you're not going to get the experience that you want. Both of these make the equation fail. Now, let me say this. Does God need you to do anything for him to show up? He does not. He does not need you. But you see, the scriptures lay out over and over and over again that if our expectation and our efforts align, a move of God will happen, right? Let's look at the rest of this. It says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. We're going to go through them fast. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it, right? It says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't put forth the effort, it's dead, right? Nothing's going to happen. It's that equation. Look at the next verse. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you by my faith with my deeds. It's saying that you need both of those things. Look at the next verse. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It says... You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without without deeds is useless? It says in verse 21, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Verse 22, it says, You see that his faith and his actions were working together. What was it? Faith and actions, expectation and efforts. They were working together in order to have the outcome of his faith, which is what was made complete by what he did. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It's both the effort and the expectation. Here we go, verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Last one, 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so Faith without deeds is dead. Replace deeds with effort, right? If you don't have expectation and effort, your faith is dead. You got to have both of them, right? You got to have both of them. And so as I was thinking about that for today's message, right, I want to look at the equation and say, okay, what does expectation mean, right? What does it mean to have expectation? I believe it means faith, hope, wanting, knowing, trusting, right, believing, Faith is the expectation. It's having a sense of anticipation, right? How many of you have that sense or have lost that sense of anticipation of what God can do? Expectation is easiest seen through the eyes of a child, right? Think about this. 
my kids have an expectation that when they wake up, they're going to get fed every day, right? They have that expectation. They have an expectation that I'm going to buy them clothes and I'm going to make sure that they don't go to school in shorts in the middle of wintertime, right? They have an expectation that dad's going to... I heard this story a couple of weeks ago. There was this dad and he gave his teenage daughter a list of three chores, right? Like three one-word, like clean, sweep, mop, right? Three words. And the girl had an attitude. She said, Daddy, where's your chore list, right? And he said, Honey... Everything else that it takes to run this house, minus those three things, that's my list, right? And so they have an expectation that everything's going to be done for them, that they're going to have to take for But it's even better than that. Think about this time of year, Christmas season, right? The expectation of Christmas. How many of you remember being about seven, eight, nine years old, and, right, you're going to sleep, and you, and you start, you're trying, you can't eat, your heart is pounding. I mean, you can't hardly take it because in two days, Santa's coming, right? Or in two days, you're going to get to open gifts, or you're going to have a great meal, or you're going to be with your family and your cousins. But that excitement and anticipation, it changed who I was. I'm the guy that November 1st now, I'm giving in. I don't even care. I take a one-day break for Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. Other than that, I'm Christmas from November 1 on. I set up my entire lights, set up my tree. My daughter drove in from college on November 1st at 9 o'clock at night after all of her classes were done so we could, so we could have a little Christmas celebration. COVID done changed that. I decided life was short. I'm going to be happy. I like Christmas stuff. I'm going to decorate November 1st every year, right? Like it's just who I am because I have an expectation. It's a, by the way, if that's the only amen I get in here, you people got problems. I got five people. I got five people that they said, yeah, give me the mocha mint latte, baby. I'm in. Sign me up. Forget the pumpkin spice. I'm all about the mocha mint. And so, but, but there is an expectation. I want to capture that feeling in my adult life of that expectation of Christmas, right? That anticipation that comes with it. I want to capture that in my life. And so that, that is that is the expectation part of the formula. It's, it's this thing that's like you can't wait till it happens. You're consumed with it, right? And so after expectation, it requires an effort. You got to do something, right? You say, well, what does that look like? The effort could be anything. It could be, the effort could be going to the altar at the end of the service today. That's an effort, right? That you putting forth, you could say, I want God to touch me. That could be the expectation, but the effort could literally just be coming from your seat to the front of the church, right? Like that could be the effort. The effort could be visiting someone that's sick. The effort could be making a phone call and checking in on somebody. It could be being patient. You know the worst thing I do? Sometimes an effort is a lack of action. Right? And you say, well, how can you have an effort that's doing nothing? Because I'm a do-something kind of guy. I'm a guy that likes to go out and, and, and do something and make a difference and change something, sometimes even without having thought it all the way through, right? Like, go do it. Like, but with God, sometimes our expectation requires doing nothing, right? Sometimes our expectation is, is that God says, wait for me to do it, right? Like, you need to be patient because it's coming. So sometimes just being patient is the action, right? And I know that sounds like it goes against each other. Sometimes we've got to just have an action of being faithful. We've got to have an action of just coming to church can I tell you something that did my heart good seeing this young family up here and they're bringing their kid to church and he's on the drums and, and she's reading from her phone doing the testimony. Can I tell you what encouraged me about that? Is that they're here, right? Can I tell you that sometimes our effort is just being here. Sometimes our effort is just saying, I don't care how late I was out on a Saturday night, I'm coming to church the next day. 
I cannot tell you how many people my age and younger, especially the ones that's just a little younger, and if they have a late night on a Saturday, church will just have to wait. We'll go to church next week, right? There's been an unchanging fact in my life. We're going to church. We're going to go to church every Sunday morning, no matter if the kids are bad, if they're fighting, if they're screaming at one another. We're going to church. We're going to get in the car, and we're going to go to church. We are going to church. And I believe that there is a, a, a faithfulness with that that is our action, that God will reward and he will bless in the lives of our children. Can I tell you another one? The action might be staying in a marriage that's falling apart. That's an action, Right? It's an action to say, I, 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 I hate you right now. I don't even like being around you, but I know we're supposed to be together and I'm going to trust that God is going to keep us together and he's going to work this out. I believe sometimes, and that doesn't mean, listen to me, if you're sitting there divorced, I'm not speaking condemnation over you. I'm speaking life and health for the next time, right? Because I'm telling you that God has a path of faithfulness sometimes that our action is just staying the course, right? Just staying the course. I believe that the level of our expectation added to the effort that we put forth is the level of the experience that we will have with God. I believe it could be an encounter. I believe it could be an answered prayer. It could be a moment of the pure presence of God, right? Like that pure divine five minutes where you are feeling God's presence in a way that you know is not manufactured. It was not a great song. It wasn't a great service. It was that God himself showed up. And he's spoken to your life and into your heart. Man, I would trade anything. You want to know why I come to church every Sunday? Because about one out of every thousand sermons, I get that opportunity when the presence of God passes by. And I don't want to not be there the day that it happens. I want to feel it. I want to know it. I want to touch the hem of his garment. As a math teacher, we prove equations through proofs. Now, they don't do that anymore for you new, you know, the people that went to school with me. How many of y'all remember doing proofs, right? Miss Delisa, I know, does, right? You had to prove your theories. You had to prove the theory. You prove them two ways. You prove them with examples, and you prove them with non-examples. A non-example is showing where if you remove one of the variables, the equation falls apart, right? So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you some very quick, rapid-fire ways. I want to prove this formula to you. I don't want to leave here today until I've laid out the case for our expectation plus our effort equaling the experience that God has for us. Check out some of these examples, right? Look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' story is found in Luke 19. Look at Luke 19, verse 3. It says, he who wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short. Remember the wee little man. Zacchaeus is the wee little man, right? Jesus was coming by that day. There was a big crowd, and the little short guy couldn't see Jesus, right? And what was his expectation? He wanted to see Jesus. It said he just wanted to see who he was. That was the expectation. He had an expectation that Jesus was somebody, and he wanted to see who he was. Verse 4 says this. It said, so he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. What was his effort? His effort was, unlike everybody else that was standing on the sidelines, he's going to go the extra mile. He's going to go climb a tree. Think about that as the embarrassment of a tiny little man climbing a tree, and everybody's making fun of him. Oh, he's so short, he can't even see. And he climbs up in this tree just to get a glimpse at the man that they call Jesus. Look at Luke 19.5. It says this. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What was the experience that he got as a result of his expectation and his effort? He got to spend a day with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And look what happens in verse 9, right? Look at this. 
Verse 9 says, Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. He gets to be called a child of God because he climbed a tree, because he wanted to see Jesus. He climbed a tree to see it. He got to spend a day with him and salvation comes to his house. That was his reward. Look at Bartimaeus, old blind Bartimaeus, the beggar by the side of the road, Mark 10, right? Verse 51, it says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, and the blind man said, I want to see. What was Bartimaeus' expectation? It wasn't for a handout. It wasn't for a love offering. It wasn't so that he could go and get a new coat. Bartimaeus said, I have an expectation that the man that's talking to me can give me sight. I want to be able to see, right? So what was his effort? Look at his effort in the next verse. It says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Look at verse 50. It says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. He said, when everybody tried to shut him down from having his encounter, he said, no, sir, I'm meeting that man. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is the part that everybody takes for granted. In order to move quicker, he threw off his cloak, right? Can I tell you something? That's all that man owned. That's all he owned. He was a blind beggar by the side of the road. Guess what the only thing that protected him from people spitting on him? It was his coat. Guess what his coat did? It was the only thing that kept the weather off of him. It was his coat. His home was that coat. That coat was the only thing that protected him. What little belongings he owned. Guess where he kept them? He kept them in the pockets of his coat because that's all he owned. That was his house. But in order to have an encounter with Jesus, he left everything that he had behind him. Read the news every year. There will be homeless people that will kill other homeless people over their coats, right? Because the coat is the one thing that keeps them safe. It's their home. And this man who was blind and would never get back to that coat in the middle of this crowd, he threw his coat aside and he came up to Jesus in order to have an encounter. He put forth the effort. He left everything that he had for this one moment with Jesus. Look at the next verse, verse 52. It says this, it says, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What was his, what was his experience? What was, it was an encounter that left him able to see and, and he didn't need that code anymore, right? He didn't need that code anymore. And so the formula, expectation, the effort, what do you do? And then it equals the experience that we get. Look at this last one, the woman with the issue of blood, right? Mark 5, verse 28. It says, because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. What was her expectation? She'd been bleeding for 12 years. But worse than that, imagine being a woman in these days and you have this issue of blood and everywhere you go in your town, every human being yells unclean, unclean, unclean and they're, they're mocking you and they're walking to the other side. She'd been ostracized for 12 years. And she, she just said, if I can just touch Jesus, I'm going to be healed. Her expectation was one touch of the hem of his garment and she could be healed for an eternity, right? Look at her, look at her effort in the next verse. It says this. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She did it. She fought through the crowd. She risked being stoned. For her to go with the issue of blood and to touch this man of God, he could have her stoned to death. That's, that's an effort, right? That's an effort when you think you're putting forth that kind of effort. Look at the next verses, verses 29 through 30. 
It says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse 30, and once again, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes, right? When's the last time you touched the garments of Jesus? When's the last time you had one of those life? You see, when we touch Jesus, Jesus touches us all the time. But there's a difference when one of us decide that we're going after him, right? There's a different kind of power that's poured out, right? When we decide that we're going after him, that we want to be touched. We want to not only be touched, but we want to touch him, right? And he can always sense when that power comes out. The equation holds up over and over again. The Roman centurion, the fishers and the loaves, the miraculous catch of fish, the road to Emmaus, the water to wine, the woman whose child had a demon. I can give you hundreds of times where the expectation met the effort and it always resulted in an experience or an encounter with God. In this room today, every one of us that know Jesus have had this formula work in your life. You've had an expectation that he could save you, right? You put forth the effort to say the sinner's prayer, right? To come to church, to be baptized. And what was the result of that? You've had an experience or an encounter or you wouldn't still be here today, right? I got a feeling we're about 98% saved in this building today. And the other 2% probably claim salvation, right? But what I will tell you is, is the lost need this message they need this message of the fact that there, if our expectation will equal our efforts, we will all have this guaranteed experience with God. There are tons of non-examples of this as well, right? I used to tell my students all the time, I don't know if Delisa said anything like this when she, she taught my wife math, it, it is I tell them, they would be like, well, the calculator got the wrong answer. Well, the calculator don't get the wrong answer, right? If you lie to the calculator, the calculator will lie to you. That's what I told them. I was like, if you lie to it, it will lie to you, right? You put in the wrong thing, you don't follow the formula, you will get the wrong answer. But it ain't never wrong. It ain't just sitting there trying, you know what, I think I'm going to give Buddy a C today. I think I'm just going to jack up my answers. Whatever you plug in, you're going to get back what you plug in. And so there are tons of non-examples of this. Look at Jesus' hometown, right? Matthew 13, 58. Check this out. It says he didn't do many miracles because there was a lack of faith. Why, were there no, why does it say there was no miracles in Jesus' hometown? They did not have an expectation, right? They failed the formula. Look at the next one. The two criminals on the cross, Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Verse 40. It says, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence. Verse 41. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise, right? One man had an expectation that that was the Son of God. The other man did not, right? And because of it, right, he said, will you remember me? The one man put in the effort, didn't he? And he got to go into heaven that day, that day, because he knew who Jesus was, and he called on Jesus' name. The other man, he didn't have an expectation of who Jesus was. Formula falls apart. You see, if you do not have an expectation or an anticipation about what Jesus can and wants to do, then your equation falls apart. You see, look at Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one disciple that turned his back and betrayed Jesus. I don't think he truly had an expectation of who Jesus was. You see, I believe he never really got the message. He never really realized, even after all the miracles and after all, I believe he thought he was a political leader. That he, might, that he might have political aspirations. I don't think he ever really got the expectation 
that he was the son of God. There are nine examples on a lack of effort. There are tons of them. Mark 10, 17 through 22, the rich man. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said. What's much I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except God alone. It says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the rich man said, teacher, I declare I've done all these things since I was a boy. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Think about that. Jesus loved this man, right? It only talks about Jesus' real love for two people, right? And this guy got loved on by, he loved him. He immediately loved him. And he says, one thing you like, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had an expectation that Jesus was who he said he was, right? But he wasn't willing to put forth the effort that Jesus said it would take in order to have the experience that he called him to do. He said, give away everything you got and come follow me, right? So he lacked the effort. Luke 17, 14 through 17, the lepers. When he saw them, he said, go sow yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed, right? One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He said he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus said, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine, right? Only one put forth the effort to come back and thank Jesus. You know, I've thought about this a long time. What if those other nine became lepers again because they didn't come back and praise Jesus? What if those other nine lost their gift of healing because they didn't put forth the effort that the one did? Mark 9, 28 and 29, the demon-possessed boy. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And verse 29 says, he replied, this kind comes out only by prayer. You've got to put in the effort. Sometimes big demons require big actions. Sometimes they don't come out real easy. Sometimes when you want a breakthrough, it's not as easy as standing on the pulpit and saying a single prayer. Sometimes you've got to fast. Sometimes you've got to intercede. Sometimes you've got to believe a little stronger. Sometimes it's going to take effort and work. And he said, this kind only comes out with prayer. Smith Wigglesworth, my favorite pastor of all time, right, evangelist, He said, when the Spirit of God isn't moving, I move the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God isn't moving, I move the Spirit of God. Can I tell you something? I found that to be a sacrilege for most of my life. I I couldn't comprehend why this man that I put in such esteem would say, when the Spirit of God's not moving, I move it. I move God, right? How can a simple man move God? If God doesn't want to move, how do we move God? You know why? Smith Wigglesworth knew the equation. He knew that God already desired to move. He knew that it said, when when two or more are gathered in your name, there I am also. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Smith Wigglesworth knew that if God wasn't moving, it wasn't because God didn't want to move. It was because the formula was failing. It was either our expectation or our effort was lacking. Because if the expectation and the effort is there, God says, I will move. It's all throughout scriptures. As I got thinking about that again and again. If you're sitting here today and you're feeling defeated, then one of those two things is lacking in your life. Either it's your expectation or your effort, but something is off. Can I tell you that? I'm going to say it again. If you don't like where Living Waters Church is today, if you don't like where your family's life is in relationship with Jesus today, then I want you to start with looking at your expectation or your efforts towards the kingdom of God, right? And you say, well, buddy, what what are you talking about? I'm talking about me. Sometimes I feel 
that 45-year-old me isn't as close to the Lord as 21-year-old me was. Because 21-year-old me would show up on this stage and there was an expectation that heaven would fall. And I would put, you say, well, what was your effort? I would drive five hours to preach to a youth group of three kids. That's who I was and did it, right? My, my year that I got married, I preached 263 times that year. Sometimes multiple times a night while being a full-time youth pastor, while being a department chair at a math in a high school, while being a head football coach. That's what my effort was, right? And the thing is, is, is that I've been praying and thinking about this over and over again. And the only thing that's changed is me. God still desires to honor our expectation if we will put forth the effort. And it will always result in an experience. I'm almost done, I promise, but I got to tell you this. And I know this isn't, if you've heard me preach, this ain't my normal type of message. I put a little meat on the bones for you today. This, this This ain't me telling a bunch of stories and trying to make you laugh and having funny videos. Because God's word for living waters is, is that you've got to increase your expectation and you got to start putting forth some effort. And some of you are going to say, buddy, that was a young man's game. I'm 70 years old. God didn't call. If you're done, then tell him to take you home. If you, if you are going to help out here, then go on and say, call me home. But you see, as long as you got breath in your lungs, you ain't done yet. The first person to respond to one of my altar calls was my 92-year-old great-grandmother. She came down and she goes, what you're preaching on, I need that in my life because God ain't done with me yet. She's 92. She said, if I was done, he'd take me home. Right? And you could say, well, we need young people in the church. Then go get them. Well, I'm 70. Then go volunteer in a school. Start a breeding program. I can show you how to do it. Right? Go meet young people. You ain't going to meet them at the Dairy Queen getting coffee at 5 in the morning. That ain't where they are. And as I've been praying for this message for you all today and for myself, I, I, got, I got thinking about UK football. Right? When I was coming here, I would be at practice. I would get up at 5 in the morning. I would lift weights. I would go to class from 8 to 12. And then I would go to football practice from 12 to 6. And then we would have revival services here at 7.30. And I would then drive from Lexington every night of the week to be a part of intercessory prayer at Living Waters, to be a part of the revival services. And then this would go on till 11. And then I would drive back to Lexington to be a part of the UK football team, and then I'd start my day all over. That was the effort I was putting in. I don't know a lot of 21-year-old college seniors that was spending their time, honestly, with a church in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, for his only three hours off every night, right? But that was me, UK football. And back then, we were awful. And I got thinking about where we started this year. When I was really praying about this message, Stephen asked me to speak a long time ago. As I was praying about this message, UK football was really good. We're not bad. We're going to have the best season in the history of the school probably this year, even with these bad two losses. But there was a few weeks there when we started out 3-0. and And then the next thing you know, you beat Florida for the first time at home since I was eight years old, right? About that time of my life, I'm telling you, man, I, got, I don't know if you got any UK fans here. I don't know if you got any, like, just football fans. But I started, like, on Sunday night, I'd get excited about next Saturday's game. I'd start thinking about it. I would. I would start thinking about it. I'd be like, man... 
And I'd get on the phone with all my old UK football friends, and I'd be texting, who's going to the game? This well, we all going. We all going. Well, well, all right, well, I'm going to keep you in the loop. Then about Tuesday, right, I would start thinking, like, i got to find somebody to watch the kids. I ain't got enough tickets this week. Or i got to find some tickets. So, Dad, do you have any extra tickets? I'd really like to take all my kids. Like, I'd like, how do I get there? So Tuesday's ticket day. Wednesday, I was like, all right, I got five tickets. I got to leave one person at home. Who's it going to be? You start getting a plan. Start texting your other friends. And you start saying, where are we going to meet? Where are we going to meet on Saturday? Where are you going to meet? What's the day going to look like? Who's bringing the food for the tailgate, right? All of a sudden, Thursday comes, and I can't even sleep at night. I'm thinking, like, we're going to beat LSU. We beat LSU since they're the number one team in America, and it's coming. It's coming. Lord Jesus, bring it. Bring the wind, Lord. Bring it. And then by Saturday, by Friday night, just forget it. I, my son's playing a little football right now. He's a high school football player. And I'd be at his game, and I'd be secretly cheating on him a little bit, thinking about that next game, that next day. UK, baby. I, we, hey, it's coming. Saturday morning, didn't you? wake up at 5 in the morning on a day off, right? I'm, I'm talking about I'm ready. If it was prayer breakfast, you could forget about it, right? Like I wouldn't even, I get up at 7.45, I don't even shower, shave. I barely put on deodorant to go to prayer breakfast. But hey, UK football played at 7 o'clock at night. I got to get up at 5 and get my head right. I got to get my head right for that. And I would wake, and all day long, the enthusiasm would build, and it would increase in me. And then you'd get to the game, and you knew it was going to be big, because there would be a Five, 6,000 people in the stadium two hours before kickoff. I mean, and so it just starts to grow. And everybody's got all the tailgates and the cars, and there's this anticipation, right? And then, Lord, they come in, they sing the national anthem, they bring in a big speaker, and you start to cry. You're like, this is beautiful, beautiful, this is beautiful. I never thought, I never thought I'd live to see this, right? And then the next thing you know, they do it. They paid extra money this year. You get the flyby by the Jets. Here come the Jets over. And I'm like, oh, this is a, I'm having an emotion. This is an experience. I'm leaning over to my children. I'm like, kids, it won't always be like this. You need to enjoy this. It don't, this don't come around very often, right? And so there's fellowship and there's this energy. And then they come out there. They do the starting lineups and the smoke goes up. I remember coming out of that thing thinking this is going to be the greatest experience of my life, and people would boo us, right, because we were terrible. These people come out of the tunnel, and there's smoke, and there's flames, and there's fireworks, and there's music, and I'm, I'm talking about like my body is trembling up in the bleachers, right? They go, and they kick that ball off, and the entire stadium erupts. You could not, you, you could feel, was anybody there? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm, you could feel the energy, like, shaking your body. It, it was a religious experience. It was awesome, right? And that was before there had been one play played. Now, let that settle in. That all happened before there was one thing to cheer about. That all happened leading up to the kickoff, right? We hadn't won. We hadn't had a good run. We hadn't had a good pass. And that was all just leading up to the kickoff. Can I tell you something? God convicted me down to my core. And he said, buddy, that's how you used to be for church services. He said, you used to start thinking about it. He said, during the revival of 97 at Living Waters, the service would end on Saturday night. And he said, by Saturday night, later that night, you're taking a shower. You're already thinking about what God's going to do the next week. He said, and it was an anticipation and a buildup. And God didn't have to do nothing yet. You came expecting, right? 
if you're an old guy like me and there's that movie Gladiator and he, he stands in the Coliseum and he says, were you not entertained? I'm telling you, church, we've got a bunch of churches that are entertaining right now, right? It's just an entertainment for the masses. That ain't how God moves. If you want God to move in this place, you, not Stephen, not Philip, not the worship, you have to come with an anticipation that God's going to do something crazy. You got to come with an anticipation that God wants to change lives and he wants to heal and he wants to pour out his presence. It starts with you. It starts with you believing that that Monday you start thinking like, man, church going to be good this week. I can feel it, right? Like church coming. Like, man, worship's going to be on point. Even if it ain't, I'm going to be right. I'm going to have pre-worship in my car leading up to over here. Even if I don't like the songs they play, I'm going to get where I'm right when I show up. And so the problem is, If you were to really look at your life, do you still got that type of expectation? Because I sat with a lot of you that are still here. And we used to expect it, didn't we? We expected it. Hey, it ain't because Joe's gone. Nobody expected it more than Brother Joe. It isn't because of the fact that it's a lack of faith on Stephen or me. Can I just be really blunt with y'all? It's y'all's fault. Because the body has quit expecting God to do what God says he's going to do. So can you get that expectation back? And by the way, that's the easy part. The easy part is to expect God to move. The hard part is put forth the effort. Show up every Sunday. Invite a person to come to church every week. Every week. Every week bring somebody new. And you say, well, they told me no 25 times. Then ask somebody else. I'm not saying the same person. But you can be in the checkout line at Kroger and say, would you come? I got a church over here. Hey, and, and you could say, well, what if it's not a good service? That, then have an expectation that it's going to be. Right? Our expectations must align with our efforts. Some of the efforts and expectations that have paid off for me the most occurred in this building. There was a time <laughs> that I was in a pretty dark spot with my personal family life. And I came to one of the services. I wasn't scheduled to speak. I came every night. And I went to the altar right there. And I said, God, I'm going to stay until you touch me. I stayed at that altar until the lights had been turned out. I stayed at that altar until it was probably three or four people left. It was probably me and Joe and Carol and Uncle Ed by that point. But I wasn't leaving until God touched me. I was at that altar for three hours. But man, he was faithful. And when he did show up to touch me, it was an experience that I've never forgotten. I used to fast a lot. I would fast one day a week for the services for you all. Not for me, not for my church. I would fast one day a week for God to show up here I've quit fasting. I hardly ever fast like a whole day of food because I've quit expecting God to move. Waiting to meet my wife. After Stephen and I had that talk and he took me to Living Waters and I signed that contract not to date for a year, I really decided then that I would never date a girl over a month. I said, by then I can tell if she's the one I'm going to marry or not. So I... In college, it saved who I was, probably. And so I I went and I waited to meet Jessica, right? And so that was an act of patience 
but it was an effort. The revivals, seeing friends saved. Stephen mentioned it, and I already had it in here to, to say. At this altar, my senior year of high school, I took all of the underclassmen, and I had, my grandfather had an old Suburban, and I borrowed it. I put 13 players or 12 players in, the, in that Suburban, that one vehicle, and we drove over here. And at the altar, I look around, and all of them, every one of them is at this altar, every one of them. You know what I didn't find out until a few years later? Is that at that altar is when my brother-in-law, my best friend, found Jesus was that night at that altar. What if I'd never put him in that truck? He wasn't even dating my sister at the time. What if I'd never stuck him in that truck that night and just demanded, you know why he went? I said, why did you come? He said, I was a freshman, and you were, you were the senior football player, and you said come, and I was so happy. And so it was that influence of a, of a senior talking to this freshman sophomores to bring them to the – and my quarterback at the time, I was the center, so I had to protect the quarterback, right? He was at this altar with me. He, he found Jesus that night. Thirteen months later, 13 months later, he had a horrific car wreck that took his life. And at his funeral, they said, they, they said that he was a radically strong Christian. And I thought, Lord, how? I knew him before. And, and – the guy gave it to him. He didn't know it was me. He was just speaking from the pulpit. And he said he gave his life at a church in Shelbyville at a, at a youth revival with his football team. You see, that is the reward of the effort and expectation of Living Waters Church. Everything I'm telling you is because of your faithfulness to God. Prayer cards, written prayers, bringing my kids to church, offering a timely visit, meal, I had a, an incident just this year, back in the spring, where I was at work on a Monday, and they told me that a former coworker of mine was in ICU in the hospital. And I felt God say, go. You got to go right now. Go right now. I'm a healer, but you got to go right now. And I was like, God, I got, I got all this. They said, you want her to die? Go right now. I canceled everything in my work day, and I drove to the hospital. And so it was ICU, so you can't even, you know, COVID, you can't even go in there if you're not family. So I was like, I'm her pastor. <laughs> I asked for her forgiveness later. But I said, because I'm not her pastor. I said, I said I'm, I'm her pastor. I said, I need to go pray with her. And so they let me in there. And so while I'm in the room, infectious disease was there. And they were, it was a, a person that spoke broken English. And so her husband and her were the only two in the room. She was unconscious and in a coma, a medically induced coma. And, he's, and, and this, this doctor, the English was broken. It's an older gentleman. and couldn't hear, understand what she was saying and said, have you all been outside? And they've been very careful because of COVID. No, we've not been outside at all. And you could see the wheels on this doctor's mind going to what's next. Like she was checking things off. And God quickened in my heart and said, hey, you, you all still kind of have that farm. Have you all been to that farm? I know you're not out in public, but have you been to that farm? And, and he was like, I, I was, we were there two weeks ago. And the doctor said, you were outside two weeks ago at a farm? And, so, and, and he was like, yeah. And she was like, I think it's a tick bite. I think this is a tick bite. We're going to start treating this for, I'm gonna, it'll take two days for the test, but we're going to do, we think it's a tick bite. We're going to start processing medicine. So she got her treatment three to four days, maybe would have never gotten the treatment. God saved her life. Got to spend some time with her on Friday. Did my heart good. Listen, it, it's our efforts matched with our expectations equals the experience that we're going to get. On the way over here to church today, I was in the car and I was thinking about Brother Joe because of the 40 years and, and looking backwards. 
And he spoke two prophecies over my life. The first was when I was sitting in that seat back there at 16, 17 years old. The second was the night that I was over here refusing to leave. I don't know if he spoke a prophecy over me just to get me to leave. But he said, buddy, he said, come up on stage. And came up on stage. Wasn't even anybody left in the church. And he, he said, I want to speak a word over you. He said, I, I, I sensed three words, and it was, take the city. So that's all he said. He said, take the city. And I said, well, I, I knew it was imminent. It, in my heart, as soon as he said it. And he said, buddy, I, but I was young and I was scared, so I didn't tell him that. But I knew it was from the Lord. And he, and he said, um, he goes, I don't know if you're meant to be an evangelist to go city by city, but he said, I, the three words are, take the city. Think about the fact that at 20 years old, God had that man speak over me to take the city of eminence. And God's favor of eminence has, and, and, and being over there, in a, it's a secular school. But, but think about the fact that we've seen our enrollment double. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but I do sense God's favor on it. I do sense that God's got godly people in the middle of it, infiltrating. I I do sense that God's hand is on it. And then I got thinking about the first prophecy that Brother Joel ever spoke over me, ever, at 17 years old. And when he spoke over me, he said this. He said, uh, you will be a forward among men. And he said, you know my plans for you. And he said that they're going to happen. And I, and I wrote on a sheet of paper, word for word, I should have got it out, but I, I hadn't thought about it. I thought about it on the car ride over. And I never sensed that God answered. Oh, and one of the words was, is that you know my calculations for you. Think about that at 16. The fact that, the fact that he spoke the word calculations over a 16-year-old, right? And I go on to be a math teacher. And so I was sitting over there. But I also thought I was going to be president of the United States. <laughs> and so I wrote on that sheet of paper, I wrote January of 2012, right? This was January of, 20, uh, of, of 1992. And I, and I wrote 2012, meaning the year that I could first run for president. And I remember in the car ride today, I was like, God, that never happened. Like, it's not like you not to fulfill it. He said, buddy, you, Joel heard me right. You misheard it. He said, what are the odds that I would take a 15-year-old kid, have him write down when he would end up in the White House. He said, I put you in the White House. (laughs) He said, I took you before kings and kingdoms. And he said, it's because of your faithfulness. As I close today, I know it's not my normal type of message, but I will tell you today that there are those of you here that need an experience or an encounter with God. It's been a while. Can I also tell you something? He's coming today. He's here. And so if, if you want to touch the hem of his garment, he's going to pass by in just a moment. As I was preparing for this message, and I took the last 25 years, I've sacrificed my family time and time again for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've, my kids aren't here today, and I apologize, because they're ministering at our church today. We, we, my family, my four kids, and my wife and my mom, that we head up the shoebox ministry. And we'll, we'll, with a tiny little church, we'll have 1,200 shoeboxes today, right? Like, they, they start leading that year-round. They'll start tomorrow and next year. And so they're over there doing that right now. And I said, God, has it been worth it? God, has, it, has all of this journey... Like, have I missed out on opportunities to even spend more time with my kids? Like, I've drug them to church three times a week. Like, 
And I sense God speak to my heart. He said, my blessing is going to be on you, your children, your children's children. He said, I've seen you in Jessica's heart. We are by far not perfect. <laughs> but at the same time, I believe our efforts and our expectation is going to be rewarded with 200 years, if God tarries, of favor on my family. And you could say, that's an egotistical thing. No, it's not. God loves me very much. Can I tell you something else? He loves you very much. I just have a high expectation of what he can do for me. And I'm willing to put in the effort to see it done. When was the last time you invited someone to church? When would you take them to coffee, pray with them, visit them, pray for the lost, attend a small group? When's the last time you came to intercessory prayer? When's the last time you took an extreme leap of faith? What if next week God speaks and says, give $100 to, buddy, I don't have 10. Take it as a leap of faith towards reaching the lost in, in Shelby County. As we close today, I have asked the worship team to stay in the seat. I'm going to ask everybody to stand where you're at. As I prayed for this service, I believe this song is a, is a spoken blessing to the body of believers at Living Waters Church. I believe that, that your faithfulness in the small things, you see, I remember being in these meetings and praying with you all that God would bring people from the north and the south and the east and the west and that rivers of living water would flow through this place. Can I tell you something? If your expectation is, is that God's going to move here like he did in 97, you will miss God. I saw hundreds of people get slain in the spirit in 97. And I'm going to be honest, I saw a lot of their lives look exactly like they did later. Can I tell you? Now, if God wants to do that, I'm for it. But can I tell you what I want? I want a revival of changed lives. I want a revival of repentance. I want a revival of seeing lives totally altered from when they came in as they go out. If you have an expectation that, God does, that you want God to move in your life, can I tell you the first effort to put forth? Come 15, 20 feet to this altar today. That's the first effort. The first effort is just saying, God, here I am. Just coming down on your knees and saying, God, here I am. Would you touch me? Would you start with me? If nobody else comes, God, would you do it for me? Will you do it for my family? Will you start that work in me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, that you are moving in our midst. God, we thank you that you have a blessing on our church here today. Lord God, we thank you you're not done with Living Waters Church yet. God, I pray that our expectation and our effort would be rewarded today by a true experience of the power of God. You'll turn that up. Feel free to sing in your seats. If you desire to be touched, though, the altar is open.
Children, they're children, they're children. Come on, Freddy, get up! 